Hey there, friends. It's Eddie, host of The New Activist. You are listening or about to listen to a re-released episode from season one, our first season, obviously. That's why we named it one of The New Activist. We are putting these out as we are preparing for season three, which will be awesome. I'm excited for you to hear it. As a quick reminder, if you would please go to newactivist.is forward slash IJM and fill out that form. It is not a, you don't need to give money or anything, just fill out this form. It will send a letter to elected officials and it will be very helpful, not only in the work of IJM, but also in supporting this podcast. Thanks for doing that. Enjoy this episode. This is the new activist. Well, this is indeed the new activist. Episode 010010. No, no. 010, that's right. With Jimmy Quatch. My name is Eddie Koffeltz and I am one of the hosts of this show. And it is such an honor to be here with you. Seriously, it actually really is an honor. So many people are rating the show in iTunes and saying nice things about it, having conversations and posting quotes and thoughts and questions on social media throughout the week. This is more than a podcast. And I am happy that we get to be a part of this little half hour together and a part of the whole week of conversations together. So this particular episode of The New Activist is very strategically placed. The release date of it, maybe you're listening to it later, but the release date is mid-November when we are really ramping up for the giving, buying holiday season. And Jimmy Quatch is the founder of Good Paper. Good Paper is a company that makes really beautiful, funny, punny, thoughtful cards. And also each card is made and handcrafted and hand signed by the maker of the card, which is, and it's a fair trade industry and it supports people all around the world and really gives a very sustainable income to those individuals. And you should know that the show isn't sponsored by Good Paper, but it is fun every once in a while to hear both the story of someone that has successfully grown a company that is not only providing a great product for us to buy, but also um, a, a great mission. Uh, but it's good for us to remember that what we do with our money matters, and the purchases that we make this holiday season actually can serve many purposes, not just to bring joy to those that we are giving gifts to, but to bring sustainability to those who are making those gifts. So that's why we're talking to Jimmy today on the show. Joining me is my very dear friend, Nikki Toyamasito. Nikki, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Eddie? I'm good, bud. Hey, I am excited about today's interview. Jimmy Quatch, tell me, what do you know? Give me like the quick biography of him. Where'd he grow okay. up? What's his family about? All that good stuff. Okay. Jimmy is one of the coolest guys you've ever met and you didn't even know it. <laughs> so the thing that Jimmy is like his family's got this like crazy story about, you know, they're like Chinese folks who are entrepreneurs in Vietnam. And then they came over to the U.S. and he grew up in San Francisco, like bad old days, San Francisco, not like Silicon Valley, <laughs> like entrepreneurial heaven, you know, yeah. gourmet meals and dry cleaning. <laughs> is that what, okay, keep going. So he, so he grows up in San Francisco and then what does he, 
What's yeah. his like trajectory from from this this family and this upbringing? Totally, right? Public school kid, he goes to Harvard, mm-hmm. right? And his faith is just reawakened as he engages with Jesus in this totally amazing way. And then as a part of his like campus fellowship, they go and do like a poverty immersion in Manila, which is sort of like back to kind of the place where his family like fled, right? Mm. And is learning about Jesus and justice. And I uh, I just think in the context of going to school at Harvard, you know, so I think it's just this amazing yeah. contradiction of all of these things that are going on. And I think part of his story that to me is fascinating is I think he went through this time where he felt like following Jesus in a radical way. He had to shed all of these different things. And the story of Good Paper is actually the story of him kind of looking at those amazing things that got embedded in him and his family story and how that interacts with the gospel and the invitation to justice. And so from that is kind of so like kind of this reclaiming of both sides of him. And plop, you have this like amazing company, Good Paper, which its products are fantastic. They're some of my favorite cards. I love them. They're beautiful and they're funny, you know? Yeah. Okay. I have a Good Paper question. By the way, that was a super interesting. I can't wait to hear more about his story and his life and what that shedding looked like. But the question I have about Good Paper is um, the idea of starting a business for some sort of good activism reason is yeah. really, really common now. I mean, I oh. feel like everybody and their brother has a nonprofit yes. and they're bringing in jewelry from India and selling it. And that's all really important and great. But what differentiates Good Paper? Because they are, um, they are unique. Yeah. They're like a real deal company. Yeah. So not to say that those other things are not real deal company, but I think that the thing that they, the other groups are going after is the compassion purchase. Right, which is a lovely thing. And so that's why you sell it at church bazaars and on, you know, holiday Sunday and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that I love about Jimmy, like Jimmy is an entrepreneur and he realizes that actually a good and sustainable business and tapping into an untapped market is actually really, really good for justice and for what he's trying to do, which is about renewing lives through gainful employment. And so he's not relying on people's pity purchase, which I think you know, when people feel a little tight on their money, that's going to be the first thing that goes. But he's tapping into something that people already do and already spending a lot of money. So that's where I feel like this is a really interesting model. Yeah, it really is very interesting. Well, Nikki, I appreciate you. Thanks for letting us listen in on your conversation. Just as a quick programming note, you're going to hear throughout this interview a few bangs and bumps. They were both in their houses recording this conversation over a Skype line which I am grateful that they did, but there's also a little bit of kid noise in the background, which is just fine. Here is Nikki Toyamasito in conversation with Jimmy Quatch. For folks who are not familiar, can you tell us a bit about Good Paper? Sure. Good Paper is a fair trade greeting card company. We specialize in producing handcrafted cards that are made by survivors of human trafficking in the Philippines and those orphaned by AIDS or the 94 genocide in Rwanda. So why'd you choose those two populations? You know, I first wound up working with the folks in Rwanda just through a friend of a friend already working with Rwanda. He said, you know, I have a guy in Rwanda who's really trying to help um, folks who've lost both parents to the genocide. And he's come up with this wacky idea of making greeting cards, but he doesn't really know exactly how to get them to market. And so... Uh, I became friends with him, talked to him, and I actually thought it was a wacky idea too, but then uh, realized that it could actually work. Um, I actually just went door to door in the San Francisco Bay Area uh-huh. and 
people wanted the product. And this is sort of the germ of how Good Paper got started. People, uh, stores wanted to carry the products, but at that point in time, I had to then email an order to Rwanda. It would take six to eight weeks, and then the cards would possibly show up in the store six to eight weeks later, uh-huh. depending on how the postal system worked. Uh-huh. And so I realized that there was a desire to actually kind of carry these products, but um, the, the, the supply chain wasn't set up. And um, in talking to my friend Chris in Rwanda and talking to some other folks, you know, I realized that what they really needed was access to markets. They, they could actually help these communities make product, but they didn't know how to get them to market. Mm-hmm. And uh, my family uh, has an import-export background. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I said, if that's what you need, um, I can help you with that. That's in the Quatch DNA. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> and then... Uh, a couple of years later, kind of with the traction with greeting cards, uh, I went back to some groups that I was familiar with in the Philippines. And I said, you know what? Um, I know you guys are working um, on getting women off the streets uh-huh. and situations of prostitution, and you're trying to give them alternative livelihood. Um, what if I connected you to markets in the U.S. and gave you designs that could sell, that we're designing here, that we know will sell? Yeah. And uh, it's totally what they felt like they needed as well. So you're not you're not necessarily trying to get consumers because they're like, oh, the compassion. Oh, I feel so bad for that story, and so therefore I'm going to buy to support. But really, you're going on the strength of the product because ultimately that's kind of serving the people that you are working with. Is that is that right? I think that's true. You know, I think that um, in America we're increasingly having more and more conscious consumers who are willing to pay a little bit more. Okay. You know, like when I'm in, when I'm in the Whole Foods uh, produce area, you know, and I see uh, regular bananas and I see fair trade bananas, I'll pay twenty cents more a pound for the fair trade bananas, knowing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the farmers got a fair fair wage for that. Yeah, and I feel like there's more of that um, in other spaces too. So with with greeting cards, yeah, like you're trying to find a card to send to someone for their birthday, and you're going to find a card that fits them, mm-hmm. and so our designs have to be good. But then when you flip to the back of our card and you see that it supports a social cause that's really awesome, then uh, then you're even more willing to support it. And actually, I would say, you know, as, as someone who's operating a business, there are more and more people who are actually willing to pay a little bit more for that if they can find ah, it. Wow. Is there a story about one of your employees that you kind of keep close to you as like, hey, yeah, this is what it's about. This is This is our top line. When we're doing our job at our best, these are the stories we love to tell. What we do is we employ these card makers uh, to make these cards. You know, usually um, the reason why they found themselves uh, commercially exploited uh, before was that their families were really poor. And one of the women we worked with, Mm -hmm. she came from like a family of seven and there was no income in the family. So she started making cards with us and uh, she realized that she was like the only source of income for her family and she couldn't stop making cards. Because a lot of times what we encourage these women to do is to save up some money and go to school. What she decided to do is she decided she would focus all her energy on saving enough money to send her sister to school. So she sent her sister to teacher's college and got her sister through that. And then now her sister Mm -hmm. is a teacher. And now there are two breadwinners Mm -hmm. uh, in the family. I think that's a a little vignette of what's possible um, and what can actually basically bootstrap a family out of poverty is uh, someone who can just have a steady job where there's mm-hmm. income from which you can save and then provide education to someone else and then they create income and now there's more margin in the family and you can send wow. someone else in the That's family. That's great. That's amazing. Is there a way that um, either your culture or your family kind of informs 
how it is that you approach the work? Yeah. Um, my family's from Vietnam. I wasn't born yet, but my family escaped the Vietnam War in 1975. And we got to America as refugees. Wow. And they were rushing out of the country in 1975. Uh, they were driving a car. The only things they had with them were some pieces of gold that could buy them passage on a boat to just get them out of the country. Oh. So we came to this country literally with nothing. And um, so what I grew up was an environment where the expectation was that, one, we would bootstrap, uh-huh. and two, we would find a way. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, as I, I was lucky, I, I missed the war. You know, my earliest memories are from growing up in the San Francisco area. So I guess I missed the trauma. But I received all the fruits of that determination, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the sense of uh, like bootstrapping frugality that, you know, like we'll, we'll get by and we'll repurpose things and, mm-hmm. and we'll make life work with what we have. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a principle that, you know, I bring into running a business. Like we can find creative ways to repurpose things and make things work to get us where we need to go. And then we'll iterate and we'll keep on improving and we'll get to a better place. Um, and yeah, I'd really appreciate that. Uh, my parents and my dad especially gave me the sense that, uh, anything really is possible Mm. and, uh, to not treat, um, a problem as insurmountable, Mm -hmm. but, uh, a problem as like a puzzle to be solved. Um, and so I think that's, that's been, that's been very helpful. That's fantastic. That's and, you know, I, and I think it's given me a certain appreciation, too, for the realities of this world. Uh-huh. You know, uh, we were refugees. We came into this country with nothing. So, you know, I have a soft spot uh, for refugees. I, you know, I don't want um, my kids to assume that everything is a given. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we ask ourselves a lot of questions of how do we give our children a sense that, you know, um, we are not entitled to these things that we have, but that we are really stewards um, of resources that we can divert or basically resources that we can uh, distribute for the sake of um, other people's welfare. Wow. That's so great. Where did kind of this vision for um, restoration come from? or this, this role of a for-profit company that can kind of catalyze um, restoration? Where does that come from? My first deep experience with global poverty was uh, in 2002. I was running a summer program exposing college students to global poverty. Mm-hmm. And ostensibly what I was trying to do was give these uh, bright college students mm-hmm. sort of just an opportunity to imagine what their lives could be and how you know, they could go for something that could actually make a meaningful difference in the world and not just the, the next high paying job out there. Mm-hmm. What I realized was, uh, that, uh, this was something that moved me deeply mm-hmm. and that my life would wind up being tied to situations of global poverty. Wow. And so that's how it started for me. And I was exploring ways to get involved with global poverty and, uh, I, you know, I think in America, our, our default is to think that in order to help people in some social way, we have to uh, organize a nonprofit. Uh-huh. And it actually took me a long time to, to break down that 
barrier. Uh-huh. Um, which is really weird because I come from an entrepreneurial family. When I was a kid, we started businesses left and right. Uh-huh. I was working these family businesses uh-huh. from like age seven. Wow. So my track record was actually in entrepreneurship. Yeah. But I kind of like shut that entire area off. I walled it off and I said, oh, you know, that's just money grubbing. We don't really care about anything. Mm. I want to live a life of purpose. Mm. And then in my late 20s, I actually started realizing that, you know, my father who had gone to Vietnam to start a company uh-huh. and it was employing like a few thousand people. Yeah. And that's social change. Like, yeah. our, you know, livelihood and employment for 3000 people that didn't have it before. So I think the wall started coming down. And then I realized that, yeah, uh, the way I can engage the space is to start my own company yeah. uh, using the experiences that I've had in my life <clears throat> and then, uh, redirect, uh, you know, channel all that energy towards um, these communities that that are having a hard time finding jobs. Do you consider yourself yourself a person of faith? I do. And how yeah. does your faith integrate or interact with you know some of the stuff that you're doing? Yeah, uh, you know, I think this whole idea of creating jobs for people in economic development that's always been there for me before I was actively engaged in my faith. So, for example. Uh, when I came into college, I was really interested in economic development. And I okay. wanted to see how poor countries in Southeast Asia could develop more. And that there wasn't really a deep faith motivation in okay. that. Uh-huh. Um, but then uh, I got activated uh, in the Christian faith uh-huh. um, through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Great North organization. Yeah. And what I realized is this deep desire to kind of see um, people grow and not be poor. Uh-huh. Um, fit into this larger narrative that there is uh, injustice in the world. You know, there is poverty that should not exist uh-huh. and that that isn't a good thing, uh-huh. uh, but that there's an ultimate outcome um, where everything is made right and justice will come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I actually felt like that um, informed me in a couple ways. Um, so first, it allowed me to um, engage areas of injustice and uh, feel like my activity uh, wasn't hopeless. Uh-huh. So, for example, like one of my first trips to the Philippines, I was really overwhelmed by the frequency with which little kids would, you know, come up to me on the street and ask me for money. Yeah. You know, I, or I talked to this guy and he'd at that point been working with people stuck in prostitution for like a dozen years. Mm-hmm. And I kept on asking him like, where do you find like that motivation to mm-hmm. keep going? And uh, he told me, you know, the motivation to keep going came from the sense that everything would be made right one day. Mm. And I think that's important because uh, I think when we enter uh, spaces that are really dark, such as human trafficking Mm -hmm. or uh, just really persistent poverty. Mm -hmm. You know, like how do we wake up each morning knowing that um, we're going to make a difference? Mm -hmm. Do you consider yourself an activist? You know, I would say that um, classically we think of activists as progressive people who are typically mobilizing other people for Mm -hmm. social change. So Mm -hmm. it's the I'm going to make a statement of protest or mm-hmm. I'm going to do a teach-in to teach people about this gross injustice in the world. And mm-hmm. in that sense, I'm not an activist. Mm-hmm. Um, 
for for whatever reason, I'm not the kind of person that's wired to go out there and tell people um, all the ways that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I do think that this society is broken, and, I, and as much as I do think that there are really, really deep seated issues in our country that we need to resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I think that the best use of myself is to engage in the the work of doing mm-hmm. to actually change systems and structures mm-hmm. um, to address these injustices and inadequacies. And, and to me, that's activity. And that's why I would say I'm an activist mm-hmm. because, you know, if you, if you look at my life, what am I? I'm an entrepreneur. I started a company. I'm selling greeting cards, you know, um, what's activist about it. But for me, I'm actually engaged in the doing of trying to create a business and mm-hmm. trying to, create some sort of replicable model that other people can take on and say, you know what, we can actually create product and not just give back to mm-hmm. communities, which mm-hmm. is, is relatively doable, mm-hmm. but actually we can integrate these communities into our supply chains mm. such that the social change is immediate mm. and ongoing. Wow. That's happening and not just a consequence of donations. So I get that there are a lot of products out there where, you know, the best way to to help people is to actually just make as much money off the product and donate it to charity. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, and, and there are plenty of people who do that, you know, like, like we buy Ben and Jerry's and Ben and Jerry's gives money, uh, back to the planet. That's cool. Yeah. You know? What I want to see more of in the world is, uh, companies creating jobs for people who wouldn't otherwise have them. And it's really hard. It's really challenging. Mm. Uh, but it's doable. And for me, the motivation is proving that it's doable. It totally is doable. And I love these kinds of stories. I love win-win, right? We all win. The people who are making the cards to the people that are importing the cards, Jimmy and Good Paper, to the folks that are selling the cards at Whole Foods, to us who get to buy it and feel excited about our purchase and give our friend a lovely card. I just love when we think holistically about a supply chain. And I really love when when entrepreneurs set their mind to the work of activism and say that we can do the things we want to do, we can make money, we can start a business, we can be creative, but also we can do it ethically. Um, I think the lesson for me is keep thinking out of the box. And I know that's such a like, like corporate thing to say, and it kind of means nothing. But in this instance, I do like the idea that part of the activism journey is innovation. And I think that there's a lot of innovation listening to this podcast right now. And I can't wait to hear what you come up with. If you would like to learn more about Good Paper, you can go to their website, goodpaper.com. They are on all social media, Good Paper Cards, everything, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, all of that good stuff. You can also buy their cards at Whole Foods, Paper Source, Urban Outfitters, or direct from their site. The New Activist is on social media and if we have not had an opportunity to chat yet you can find us on facebook and twitter both of them have the same handle new activist is and our website is newactivist.is like new activist is you newactivist.is also you can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts And if you happen to have a spare moment in your life, as if you do, but if you do, head over to iTunes and rate, review the show. It really is exceptionally helpful in getting people to hear about what it is that we are doing over here. 
The music for today's show was composed by Ether. You can hear more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Ether. That's A-E-T-H-E-R. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of my colleagues at International Justice Mission, as well as my co-host, Nikki Toyamasito, I am Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.